Hi, welcome to New Creation Family Church. I hope you enjoy this week's sermon. It's my privilege to welcome up our team that are going to come and lead this part of the service. I'm going to introduce Bev. She's going to come and be the speaker number one, the face of, face of it all. Let's give Bev a hand as she comes and she shares this morning. Morning, everyone. Can you believe it's already a year since the last time we were here for Orphan Sunday? I'm like, at the time is flying. Okay, so we're going to um, do things a little bit differently today. Um, you're going to be meeting um, our board members, which I don't think we've done before. I'm not sure whether any of you even know who they are. But before we do that, we're just going to start off with a video um, that's going to take us into the service. does a 23-year-old American girl from New Jersey, college-bound four years ago, end up in a remote Himalayan village raising over 200 children who have been orphaned as a result of disease and civil war? My story began exactly five years ago when I woke up one morning at 18 years old and had a scary realization. I knew very little about myself and what I wanted in my life. So I packed up a backpack with very few belongings and I decided to take a trip around the world. I had never really traveled, never left my country. All of a sudden my whole world opened up. There was so much to learn and so much to discover outside of the walls of, of a, a four-walled classroom. I was walking down the road one day when I locked eyes with this little girl. Her name is Lalkora. Her job every day was to take loads from the bus park all the way into the villages and she'd go back and forth, back and forth all day. She'd make a dollar, two dollars in the day to feed her family. This is the life of a Nepalese orphan. I looked at her and I saw every single piece of myself. Um, and I was devastated. I thought, what have we done as a human family that our children are living this way? I soon kept reading, and I found out that there were 80 million children just like her in the world. And I was devastated. And then I met one particular girl, her name was Hima, and this is Hima here. She was seven years old, but every day when I walked to meet her, she'd just smile with these big bright eyes and she'd say, Namaste, Didi. And I thought for the first time, okay, Maggie, forget the 80 million. What if you just started with Hemo? Is there something that you can do to change the life of just one child? And I thought at 18, and as the entrepreneurial mind that I have, okay, I can do that. Um, what if I just supported the education of this one child? How would her life change? And um, this is Hema a couple of weeks later. Uh, I, I put her into school and followed and tracked her, her progress. But the sad thing was, was that I, I didn't think it was enough. Um, there were kids that didn't have homes and families, and they were orphaned. And um, one day I had this idea. I found a piece of land, and it just happened to be $5,000. And I wanted to build a home for orphan kids, a home and a, and a school and a base. I called up my parents, and I said, can you send me over my $5,000 of life savings? I had saved up from the time I was about six years old, every penny. I babysat starting from the time I was 12 to when I was 18. And sure enough, they wired over um, that $5,000 and I bought my first piece of property in Nepal.
The world will change when our children and our women are educated. They have less children, they raise better families, they raise more educated children, their disease, everything decreases, poverty levels, communities and villages change. And the thing about this work that I do is that it's very addicting. So I thought, okay, with one kid, if I could do one, why not ten? What if my dream was to walk across this dry riverbed one day and not see a single child breaking stone? That's what I want. I want to create a world that I want to see every day. And I think we have the power to do that. I don't think you have to go 8,000 miles away to the foothills of the Himalayas. I think the beauty of all of us is that we have talents and we have gifts. And this just happened to be mine, and I'm really lucky to have found it and created my little slice of heaven, my little paradise. And I think that the world will change when we all find that for ourselves, where we wake up every day. We, we wouldn't rather be anywhere else in the world doing any other kind of work. We think of all the things we don't have instead of the things that we do have. Oh, I could do that if I had more money once I have my PhD, after I'm settled, after I'm established, after I'm famous. Well, what if everything you had was everything you have right now, your body and, and your mind and that sense of, I can do anything. So what if everything you have, or everything you need, is everything you have right now? So Oasis Haven went through what we are calling a defining moment this year. Um, I think I'm supposed to press something. No? There we go. Okay. Um, and so part of that was looking at how do people see us? How do people perceive Oasis to be? What do they think we are? What do they think we do? Um, so we had a survey that some of um, you may have taken part in that was sent out, and these were some of the responses. So um, it was all put together, the responses were put together, and um, a picture of Oasis was kind of given to present it to us. And that picture was that Oasis Haven is like a tired mother who is raising her children alone. She's full of love for the children in her life, but she needs finances, resources, and support to provide quality care to them. Her financial position puts her ability to provide everything the children need at risk. Figuring out where money will come from keeps her up at night. Her neighbors know she struggles for money because her clothes are old, her car is in need of repair, and they see, counting out her money, um, see her counting out her money to buy food. She is fiercely protective of the children in her care, but this means others often see her as uninviting, angry, and difficult. This means she often feels isolated and without people to take care of her. Although she dresses and acts conservatively, when you spend time talking to her, you will discover her worldview is quite progressive. She isn't the type of person who shares the good work that she does, so her community doesn't realize that, um, the love that she's pouring into the children she cares for. She might, have lots, she might have lots of challenges, but her children know her home is a place where they will find love, acceptance, discipline, 
and a safe place to land. So when we got that, uh, I, didn't, I was like kind of shocked. I was like, really? Is that how people see us? Our previous um, chairman, Adrian Cooney, who some of you might know, said when he read that, he thought, oh, that sounds just like Beverly. And I was like, what? I have pink hair. How can you say that I'm like an old woman who is tired and anyway. Um, but that's the reality is, is this was how people were seeing us. Um, so we started a process of trying to figure out who we are, firstly, and secondly, how do we communicate that to other people so that they see us as we really are and not as we sometimes feel. Um, and so this is kind of what we, what we were saying, was we feel like Oasis is home. Um, it's the feeling of being welcomed and being made to feel part of a family. Um, it's where people, it's, about, it's home is where, sorry, home is where the people you care about um, you are. It's a sigh of relief when you can be yourself. It's a physical and emotional safe space. It's being accepted for who you are. It's a soft place to land. Um, it's people who are always there for you. The base from where everything begins and the feeling of having enough. So what we said was houses get bought and sold, but home stays with you always. So home really is about the people that you're with and how, how you treat each other. Um, there's a quote from a little girl, Angel, age 13, that says, I know someone cares about my well-being by how inviting they are. When you get, first get to their home, everyone invites you in and makes you feel at home. And that's really what we wanted people to feel when they interacted with us, when they came to our homes. Um, not, not what we were being told um, people were seeing us as. So the first thing we did was we re-looked at our vision and mission. Um, our previous one, although it hasn't changed much, our previous one was quite long, difficult to remember, so therefore people couldn't really say this is who Oasis is. So this is our new vision and mission. Our vision is for every vulnerable child to be in a loving forever family. So whether that's with us or with an adoptive family or back home with their biological families, that is our vision, is that we want every child to be in a loving family forever. Our mission is to break the cycle of vulnerable children by loving them as our own and working to provide family through adoption or in our family homes. We focus on quality care, education and therapy rooted in faith. Um, so that's pretty much what we are now um, trying to present to, to the outside world. So we then also looked at our values and said, uh, technology, um, and said, okay, we, we had, I think we had about six values before, um, which again, just was you know, quite a lot and, and people didn't necessarily remember them. So we wanted to bring it down to just a few that we could really, um, remember and focus on and make sure that we were living them out every single day. So our three values that we focus on are on family, faith, and integrity. Because um, the reality is, is that for the children, um, for our children, our children at Oasis, the world is a very unsafe place. Oasis Haven um, 
at our SS Haven, our big vision is for vulnerable children to be in a loving forever family. We realized we need to live that vision and not just talk about it. So our three main values are family, faith, and integrity. We believe that learning about these in the context of forever family enables vulnerable children to break the cycle of family dysfunction. And that's very core for us. If you look at children who come into care, very often their parents came from a broken family situation or they came from living in a children's home themselves. And so we realize that if we don't do something to break the cycle, our children will just leave our care potentially land up living on the streets or living in poverty, and the cycle will just continue to be repeated. So our family might not look traditional. Um, it's made up of people who are employed to be moms, volunteers, who sign up to be big brothers and sisters, and staff who show up every day, not, not just because it's their job, but because they love the children as their own. Our family is messy, but we're always ready to welcome a new family member. So this is what we're saying. Oasis Haven is a family who will offer you a chance to reach your fullest potential because we have faith not just in, only in Jesus, but also in one another and the children in our care. When you join Oasis Haven as a supporter, beneficiary or volunteer, you become part of the family. So we hope that you will all feel part of our family as we, as we go forward. So that is our old logo. So that was the next thing we looked at. We now knew, okay, our vision and mission, who are we? How do we communicate this to people? Then we looked at our logo and we said, does that really communicate what we're saying? Um, when we talked about this with the children and we said, what do you think our logo looks like? They said it looks like a mom with a baby, which is true. But our homes are not filled with babies. We have children at the moment between the ages of one and 20. So we felt that it didn't necessarily represent us well. We also were not enjoying the brown so much anymore. We thought we needed a bit of brightness in our lives. So we then um, had our logo redone, which took us a little while to get to where we wanted to be, but we hope you're gonna all love it as much as we do. Obviously I put it there twice to kind of just show how it can be shown on different colors. Um, but that is, that is our new logo. So basically what we're saying is Oasis Haven is a home that is filled with love. Thank you. <laughs> so that's what we've been doing this year. As I said to the staff and the children, you see sometimes we do work in the office. We're not always just doing nothing. Um, Right, so now I just want to um, call up our board of directors. Maybe we'll just do it one, one by one. And our board of directors are just going to, well, there's just six of us, are just going to share with you why they serve on the OASIS board. So as one of the board of directors, and because I've already got the mic, I'll just go first. Um, so for me, it's part of my job. As the managing director, I have to be on the board. But... I guess the reason is why do I stay? And last year when I spoke at Orphan Sunday, I shared my testimony about how I came to Oasis originally, but, but why do I stay? I really, I stay for the kids because they're amazing and they deserve to have people who are willing to go out to bat for them and love them and care for them. Um, I stay because our staff, everybody from Q and Simone in the office to the ladies in the houses to Jeremiah who drives the bus um, and gets 20 children to where they need to be every single day. They're all amazingly committed. They really do love our children as their own. Like, I cannot fault them on that. 
And then lastly, our board of directors, um, a group of people who have come together and who are so passionate. I speak with people from other nonprofits um, often, and, and they'll say, you know, we really struggle with our board. We can't even get them to come to meetings. Our board members are at meetings every time. They're so committed. They're interested in the smallest details. They give of their time, of their skills, and of their money. Um, and really, that's the reason why I choose to stay at Oasis Haven. Who wants to come first? Chris, as the longest serving board member in the history of ever. <laughs> I'm the old fossil. Um, I guess I became part of the family, and I can't remember the, the, when it happened, but it was, yeah, it's that long ago. It was over 15 years, I think, when I became a donor and just started getting more closely involved with Oasis. And when you do, you start just to hear a little bit about the, the story of the children there. <coughs> and if you, you've got to be a rock not to be, you know, <coughs> affected by it. But when you see today some of our board members that have um, adopted these children and the transformation, it's a he healing process that is absolutely phenomenal. And so, <coughs> Excuse me, I, um, I guess what touched me was that, and that kept me going for quite a while until about 10 years ago, um, the then chairman Fitz um, came to me and asked me if I wouldn't be a board member. And you know, I'd been thinking about it for a long time because when you see these children, you also see <clears throat> these incredible staff members that just pour their lives out for these kids. Um, <laughs> Someone like Bev who just doesn't stop um, <clears throat> when she's not doing it in, in, in the homes. She's got her own children in the homes that she just keeps adding to and doesn't know when to stop. <laughs> and, and that, you know, if in those early days, Oasis hadn't had the structure and the um, type of uh, input that we'd had over the, the, the years since then. And so it was like a really struggling little organization. And there were these ladies, essentially ladies, who were pouring out their lives for these kids. And then on top of it, were having to try and find and scratch together the money every month to make it work. <coughs> and, that, and that broke my heart. Um, because they gave everything for these kids. And they had to go and beg for money. So <coughs> I just said to Fitzy, I'll understand. It took me a year thinking about it, Marie Claire will know, because um, I really didn't know what I could do. But then I just decided whatever I could do was really important. And, um, and it's been just an incredible journey, you know, to see not only the 20 kids that are there every, every day, every year, but the kids that have gone through and been adopted. You know, they have really made a difference. So I just urge you, you know, if you, have any compassion, you know, whatever you can give. There are so many homes closing because there's just no money to keep, the, keep these things going. Big places that, you know, have had lots of kids that are just closing. And whatever you can give just will make a difference. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. And, and that's what I was talking about. These guys really are so passionate about what we do. Um, Daryl. I don't know how you expect me to talk after listening to Chris. 
um, yeah, my name is Daryl. Um, I, I was going to just share a bit of a defining moment for myself. Um, when I was a teenager, I went on a, a mission trip to the Western Cape, and uh, we did a children's program at one of the local children's homes that was there in a, a place called Philippi. And to keep it brief, when we left, the one child just had quite a severe reaction, almost just saying goodbye. And uh, we, yeah, we, sure, Chris, you're not helping me. <laughs> but anyway, we, so the, a very severe reaction to saying goodbye. And I remember being quite shaken and, and sort of doubting what, what we had actually done in those two weeks because I kind of felt, you know, when we left, we'd, we were kind of leaving the children in the same situation that we found them when, two weeks before. And uh, just wondering, you know, what, what we had actually achieved by being there. Um, and, yeah, speaking, speaking of three, I mean, this child in particular had been um, either, either um, abandoned or orphaned, we wasn't quite sure, but they were being taken care of by one of the members in the community who decided at some point they no longer wanted to look after them and locked them in a shack with two of their siblings, set the shack alight, and disappeared, never to return. And uh, that, yeah, it was a little girl named Dodo, and um, yeah, I just was shattered when we said goodbye, goodbye to her. And yeah, um, where was I going with that? So yeah, we, we, we left kind of a bit shook coming from, you know, reasonably sheltered, privileged white backgrounds. and. We weren't quite sure what to do with this experience, and speaking about it as a group, we, we, yeah, we, were, we were questioning, but at the same time, we, we kind of knew that we had experienced the reality that for many of us was something we hadn't experienced before, and that was just that for hundreds of thousands of, well, millions, what did you say, 18 million people around the world, the, the lady said, children around the world in our, in our human family that are in, in desperate situations, um, not just economically, but not, not having a family of their own. And uh, yeah, we just knew as a, as, a, as a group that we couldn't carry on our lives just ignoring that fact. We had to, uh, we had to take that, that knowledge and that experience and turn it into, um, let it affect, influence how we lived our lives and how we spent our money, how we structured our families, things like that. And uh, yeah, we've we've tried to do that in different ways. And uh, yeah, that's fast forward to today. It is a a privilege to be a part of the ASIS board. And uh, yeah, I'm not as involved as a lot of the other members of the board, but it's a privilege to be a part of a group that really are making a difference and doing good work, um, amazing work. And I think as a church, we we've done well to be a part of Oasis since its inception and to have been a, su a strong support, a, a significant support to Oasis over the years. But uh, also as a member of the church, as a, a member of the board, I can, I can challenge us all here today that there's still an incredible more that we could be doing as individuals and as a church to support Oasis and, and the children that they, that they support and, and serve um, and so, yeah, just 
try and yeah, have open hearts and, and minds today. Sometimes it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's sometimes good. Um, I think it's these kinds of things are often things that we, we, we don't like being confronted with because it makes us uncomfortable. Sometimes it's okay to be uncomfortable. I, I was talking to my wife this morning and it was at one of these very orphan Sunday services that we had made the decision to adopt our second son, um, Jess, and, and we were going back and forwards and it was a day like today where we were just uh, challenged and, and we said, okay, we're going to do it. And uh, one of the best of four decisions we've ever made. So, <laughs> yeah, that's about all I have to say. Thank you. What do you say after two crying men? <laughs> oh. I think we've been members of the church for a very long time. And and we've we've known Bev longer than we've been members of the church. So we've been a part of Jeff and I have been part of Oasis as long as we've been members of New Creation. So through different different ways, you know, uh, donations and you know visiting and supporting and even trying to adopt through them, which obviously it didn't work. But we never wavered from being what we called ourselves, the friends of Oasis. So uh, in, in a lot of ways, we've been connected more than just as people in the church or people that knew Bev and Beth and, and everybody, we've been part of the children's lives in, in, in a lot of ways. And um, when we finally decided that we were going to adopt, our education, our training came from Oasis. How do we take those learnings and make sure that we don't make mistakes along the way? And how do we make sure that what we know we can share with others? And every single time I would go, I would take my eldest, Kanya, to Bev's house. There'd either be a new child there, or there'd be a child that's gone, or one that's returned. There was always something happening, and that for me was, was just wrong. It was just wrong that we're living in a world where I can't have all of them to take care of them, not just financially, but just I don't have enough room. Yet here's Bev with her own children, taking in other people's kids or taking, helping out with, with Oasis. Why can't I do more? And eventually, we adopted Ezekiel. And in, in adopting Ezekiel, it opened my mind up to what the possibilities are, even if it's just changing the life of just one. One of the things that stood out for me a couple of years ago at Often Sunday with Bev was there are 3.7 million orphans in South Africa. And, and when Upper House, the agency we used, couldn't even reply my mail just to have one. 
it, it was just, it was just sad, very sad. So when Chris approached me last year and asked me if I'd be interested to be part of the board, I didn't even think twice. Because if I cannot help 3.7 million, at least I can help 20 with whatever I could give. Um, good morning. Uh, my name is Ivan. And just to let you know, uh, Beth threatened me and she said, I mean, Beth threatened me and said I should cry. Uh, <laughs> Um, so about, I think a month ago, uh, Bev sent me an email, well, sent the board an email, and they said, you know, please come to Orphan Sunday and share why it is that you uh, chose to be a board member or accepted the, the board member role. And initially, I thought it would be an easy task. I'll just come and share a few stories, as I have millions. Um, but as I've been processing it, it's actually such a, a difficult thing to do. Um, I got involved with Oasis about eight years ago, seven years ago, um, when I was 23. And I became a fundraiser for Oasis Haven. And <laughs> to be a fundraiser, you need to have multiple stories that keep you going um, and give you a reason to keep doing what you do. And it's actually quite easy for a multitude of reasons. Um, the first being is a lot of the people that are in this room um, you would not understand how many people come together and make Oasis function. There are months where there's next to nothing, and there are days where from nowhere a check comes in and the bank is overflowing. <laughs> um, and you meet people who come and they drop soup packets, they drop off milk, they drop off big checks. Um, they, make you, they introduce you to, to people who can put you in positions um, where companies are able to give money to Oasis Haven. And all those stories um, are fuel. And that's the reason why I, it was an easy decision for me. But what I want to share before I, I get off the stage, because Bev did threaten me and say I have two minutes, um, is that Oasis Haven isn't just two homes, one across from, from here and the other about three minutes away. Oasis Haven is all of us. Um, it's every individual that sits in this room. Um, there are many role models. We always complain about the world is in a dark place, it's going to the dogs. It's actually not. There are reasons for us to keep believing and reasons for us to have faith in each other um, as humans. Um, and I feel like, f for me, that is, is something that I just wanted to impart with you. And, and I just wanted you to keep faith and know that the little that you have actually goes a very long way. I know it for a fact. I used to see those donations coming in on a daily basis. And I used to see the kids that it impacts. Bev, you're amazing. You're a role model to all of us. Um, I'm happy, so happy that Oasis Haven is a women-led organization that's doing amazing things, from the house moms um, to the new chairwoman, right, to the MD. And that's, that's a testament for all us men to know that, you know, um, we can learn a lot of lessons from women. And um, yeah, they're the ones looking after us. Uh, God bless you. Morning everyone, my name is Tamara and I promise these are not all my notes for my defining moment but they are my attempt at not crying on stage. So if I put it down then I'm less likely to do that. Um, I am currently the chair of Oasis Haven. I have stepped into the role 
following Adrian Cooney and before that Ian um, Fitz. And I wear size three shoes, so I have very small feet to fill very big shoes. Um, and it's, yeah, it terrifies me, but at the same time, it's such a, a privilege and a blessing. So when I was growing up, I had this affinity for orphaned characters in books and movies. Anne of Green Gables, Daddy Long Legs, Pollyanna, Annie, A Little Princess, lots of Disney characters, Bambi, Simba and the Lion King, Mowgli and the Jungle Book. I loved um, and identified with these characters. And I think it was because I admired their independence and their ability to overcome and to make the best of tough situations. Um, and then I loved the happy endings. There were always these marvelously happy endings for these orphans in these stories. And I imagined that one day I might adopt a child too, and my little family would cheerfully ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after. But then growing up in South Africa, you become confronted with the reality that the situation in real life for a lot of our children without families is very different to the movies. Um, when I was, I'm not sure whether it was in, when I was in high school or whether where, when I was in varsity, but my mom started volunteering at a small children's home in Midrand. And she would come home and she would tell us about some of the things that had happened to these children. Um, this horrendous abuse and neglect for various reasons. Some of it, you know, sad accident and others at the hands of others. And it just struck me as being so unfair that these children who had not asked to be brought into the world, that had no part in their own situation, um, they were just in these circumstances and they were the ones to suffer and they, there was nothing that they could do about it. As a child, there's very little you can do to alter your own world. And then when I was a slightly older, I became friends with Beth, who was the former CEO of Oasis Heaven, as most of you will know. And she came and spoke at the church that I was part of. And her plea for churches to take up the responsibility of caring for vulnerable children really struck home. And it, I guess it comes back to that video where we all make excuses and we sort of say, well, when I have more, you know, I'm, I'm a freelancer, I'm a freelance writer, they pay us peanuts. When I have more money, when I have more clients, when I have more experience, when I'm older, um, and I think it came down to there are no excuses. What if what you've got now is all that you've got? What are you gonna do with it? So my husband and I joined the Big Brother program at Oasis Heaven, and we were paired with a lovely, very shy little boy. And for the first few months, in fact, it was probably about a year that we saw him, he literally did not say a word to us. Um, it was sometimes very awkward, but he was so shy. And you can understand that. I mean, we were, at the start, strangers. Um, but as we got to know him and as he settled in, he was new at Oasis Haven. He'd only been there a few months when we met him. And as he settled in, we just saw how he settled into this routine of family life and the family home and how he flourished. And uh, I just bought into the family home model at Oasis Haven. And I thought, here's an organization that I can really support. Um, and as this was all happening, I was becoming better friends with Beth. And so we formed this 
like crazy book club where we got these few women who'd read these really hectic books and then we'd sit around and we'd talk about the books, about social justice and share our views and we would moan about the systems that were failing and we would talk about the role that the, the body of Christ should play and we had these intense debates. Um, and then in 2014, she came to me and she said, would you consider becoming a board member? And I thought, why? Why me? I'm so little. <laughs> what am I going to do? What value am I going to add? I'm not old enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not experienced enough. I'm not well-connected enough. What can I really do for Oasis Haven? Um, and I can't remember who said it to me, whether it was her or whether it was one of the other board members or whether it was my husband or a friend. But someone said to me, you've got to remember that God equips those that he calls. And you know, if you're called, you've got to say yes and then trust that God will do the rest. So this was a call from Beth. And I said, oh, I would go pray about it. And I prayed about it. And then I thought, well, what am I doing? We have these long discussions. We sit around and we talk about the systems that fail. But what am I doing? Beyond being part of a Big Brother program where I see this lovely kid once a month, what am I actually doing? And so I said yes, because... That was a defining moment for me. What are you going to do? If this is all you've got, what are you going to do with it? So, yeah, I said yes to the position on the board and have never looked back. And currently I'm chair. So <laughs> that's my story. So, thanks, guys. Like I said, they're all amazing. Um, we had wanted to bring in the voice of a child, and I think often in these kind of stories, um, we often are hearing like the story of the adoptive parents or hearing the story of the people who work at the children's home, but we don't actually ever necessarily hear the voice of, of the children. Um, last year, um, we had that We Trash play, which we're going to do again next year, um, and that told some of the stories. But as, we, as I started speaking to some of our older um, children who have been adopted and even have left the country um, about sharing their story with us today, whether in video or just something they wrote, I found quite a bit of a resistance. And I used my social worker skills and kind of tried to figure out where, where this was coming from. But the reality is, is our kids just want to be kids. They just want to be normal people. They just want to be seen for, for the, who they are and their strengths and not have everything blamed on their past. And, and you know, they just want to be kids. So I found a, a story written by somebody else. So this is not anybody we know, but I quite liked what they had to say. Um, it takes a lot of courage to walk through life as an unknown entity. For decades, I had no idea where my story began. I was almost one year old when I was brought home. Uh, where was I before I came to my family? To this day, I only know that I had been in a foster home prior to my family getting me, and prior to foster care, I was in the adoptive home that could not keep me. Now, there is more to that story than this, obviously, but I was told this version um, my whole life. Uh, but those of you who are not adopted, imagine that this was your birth story. Can you imagine if it's... Um, if it were the beginning story of your own adopted for your own adopted child, for me, I feel cheated out of the first chapter of a book. There were, uh, sorry, I've 
try to edit it a bit. So, as I look at the pictures of new families, I wonder where children began and who have just been adopted into a whole new family story. Will they remember where they came? Sorry. Ah. Will they remember where they came from? Will these new parents tell them? One family picture showed the child in a shirt that said, this is my gotcha day. And the parents had the words um, on with the following words crossed out, foster adopted biological. And the word that was left was parents. Will these children have their biological story crossed out too? Children deserve to know their beginning story. Um, sorry. All the information that my adoptive parents had was my father was tall and my mother was short. This was actually accurate. They did know, not know that my first mother had five children in foster care when I was born. They did not know that my first father had three children when I was born. They had no idea that my first mother had been told by a social worker that she could choose to give me up for adoption or the state would take me. Either way, she was stuck with a difficult position. It takes courage to live an adopted life. When the unknown starts to weigh me down, I feel very small. I was small when I lived in another home with another name, uh, with another family, and then another... Mm, sorry. Uh, this is why I must rather have paper. Um, I was, uh, Sorry, I've now lost my place completely. I, f uh, I was small when I lived in another home with another name, with another family, and then another family. I was small and someone in one of those families hurt me. I came to my parents with bruises and I was not clean. When I think of small hurt uh, baby me, I send her much love and comfort as I can because she really needed some support and safety. Thankfully, my parents provided that for me in the way of a bath and warmth. They made sure that I learned how to eat off a spoon because I didn't know how. They made sure I was safe. Adopted children need to know, feel, and experience safety. When children who have experienced trauma, and yes, adoption is trauma, act out or have aggressive behaviors, this is not because they are bad or doing this on purpose. It is because their nervous system is dysregulated and they are safety-seeking. They have no way of verbalizing, I need to know um, you are here and you are not leaving. I am safe. I will be cared for. I will have food. I will have shelter. I won't be beaten or hurt. I won't be left alone. I will not be exposed to drugs or sexual abuse. Their way of communicating this deep primal need for safety is by screaming, breaking things, fidgeting, getting up and down out of their chair at school, picking at their skin, cutting, and the list goes on. I look for courage in my life to show up in small ways. Courage is my mantra, my word, my person, my positive self-talk, my way of being in the world when I feel small. I pull up some courage and move forward. I want to experience courage in a way that shows that small baby inside of me, she is safe. Courage is everything. Being adopted is what brave looks like. Not knowing where you come from and still showing up for life to be something to other people is brave. The adoptee community are some of the most brave people I've ever met. Being vulnerable and open to each other as a way of finding community is brave. Being in foster care and still hoping for your own parents to get themselves together so you can come home is brave. 
being in foster care and knowing that your parents will not ever get themselves together enough to bring you home and still trusting enough to want another family to love you is brave. Let's show up for each other and allow others to see our courage and be brave. And why I love this was just because I think that explains our children. They do, they show up, they're funny, they're entertaining, they care about each other immensely. Um, they're so brave, they're so courageous, and I think us as adults can learn from them every day. And I think I'm now going to hand back over to Tamara. Thanks, Bev. So, Bev and I met with Paul a few weeks back to talk about today. And I've never been to an Orphan Sunday before, so it's my first. Um, and I was really excited when Paul shared that you've been working through this theme of defining moments. And at Oasis Heaven, our whole identity rests on the idea of family, about providing family to children who don't have one. And there's so many examples in the Bible of defining moments around family and people choosing to be family to one another. And I love in the video at the beginning, um, the young lady Maggie talked about our human family. And the book of Ruth is one of my favorites in the Bible for these family defining moments. Because first of all, there's Ruth. So she was a Moabite woman. She married a Judean man. It was a completely different culture. And I think I know a bit what that's like because I'm an English-speaking South African who married an Afrikaans-speaking South African who was born in Namibia. And our families do things very differently from the way we express affection to the way we cook. So my family's idea of bonding is to build a puzzle together, to have a long debate about American politics, and then to practice our sarcasm on each other. That's love in my family. My husband's family would rather go hunting and then spend the rest of the weekend working the meat together, making societies and making vort and biltong, and they argue over the rugby game plan. So we have very different ways of doing things, and we've come together and built our own family. We now have our own traditions that are new to us. But I imagine that for Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, it was quite difficult to find a way of getting along. And then... Naomi's husband died, and then Ruth's husband, Naomi's son, died, as well as Naomi's other son. And so Naomi was left without her family. And so she told her daughters-in-law to go back to their own families, and she prepared to live out the rest of her life alone and in misery. And Orpah, who was married to Naomi's other son, eventually agreed to go back to her own family, but Ruth dug her heels in, which may be why I like Ruth, because she reminds me of me sometimes and that she's so stubborn. So she says in Ruth. 1.16, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And that is a defining moment where Ruth showed up for Naomi and said, I will be your family. I choose to be your family. And although they weren't blood family, that meant that Naomi had family. And it wasn't a great choice for Ruth because she could have gone back to her own family, but she chose to commit herself to Naomi, which meant going back with Naomi to Judea, where she was despised as a Moabite, 
And they were both widows, which is very low in, in the culture at the time. They had no status, they had no, no one to take care of them, so they were pretty much destitute. And then we meet Boaz. And when I hear Boaz's name, for some reason I imagine like Barry White music playing in the background. Because Boaz is like the great biblical bachelor. He was rich and kind and sensitive, and he was so good to, to Ruth, uh, who was working in his fields. And um, in South Africa, he might be considered to be more, more of the Bursukafro kind of vibe. But yeah, Boaz is this great guy. And most of you might know the story. It turns out that he is some sort of distant relative of Naomi, so he can be what's called a kinsman redeemer. And that basically means that according to the custom at the time, a relative of the man who dies should marry that man's widow so that he can perpetuate the family lineage through her. So Boaz is nice to Ruth, and Naomi sees this gap, and she devises this plan. She tells Ruth to get all dressed up in her best and creep into the threshing area when Boaz goes to sleep and uncover his feet and lie at them. Now, I don't know how many of you parents would think that would be a great idea these days, um, but she knew what she was doing and God's hand was at work and it all worked out beautifully. Uh, so Boaz sorts out all the legalities and he agrees to marry Ruth and make her part of his family and redeem Naomi's family. And it's another defining moment. It's where he chooses to be family to them. He shows up for them. And then Ruth and Boaz go on and they, they have children together. And if you trace the line of David and of Jesus back, Ruth is one of their ancestors. So this is, again to me, this book is just full of these beautiful showcases of God displaying how much he cares about family and the idea of family. And even if you look at the idea that we believe in God as a trinity, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is family even in himself. And then we have adoption in Jesus' story even. So at the time in Jewish culture, a person's lineage was determined by the legal father. So one of the requirements of the Messiah was that he had to be of the line of David. So Joseph is descended from David, so he needed to basically show up for Jesus and choose to say, I will be your father, for Jesus to be acceptable as the Messiah, to be able to trace his lineage back to David. So again, it just comes back to these defining moments that all center around family and about choices, choices to be family and standing up and saying, as Bev said earlier, I will go out to bat for you. I will take this choice. And so that's what we as the board of Oasis Haven are basically here today, is to ask you to commit to us as your family. Uh, as a ministry of this church, we are family, and we are part of the church family, and that's such a privilege. Um, we see you as part of your family, whether you are like a brother or a sister or an aunt or an uncle, that weird person that you're not quite sure how you're related to that gives everyone dishcloths for, kitchen for Christmas every year. It doesn't matter. You're still part of our family, and we love you and we appreciate you. And like our family manifesto says, our family is a safe space where we can be authentic, vulnerable, and practice courage. It also says 
talks about how we are beautiful, flawed, creative human beings and how you'll need to pr practice forgiveness, kindness, honest expression and understanding to get along. So as Bev said, we are, we are a messy family and we are not perfect at all. Uh, but I don't know a family that is. And our callers, whether you're new to us or whether you've known us for years and you've been on the fringes or whether you've been part of the family so long that you're also part of the furniture, please commit to our family and choose us. Choose to show up for our children. Choose to be part of the family. And what that means is what it would mean for your own family. So bringing your best skills, strengths, solutions, love, patience, bring those. There's a, a sort of old saying that we love to quote at Oasis Heaven where we say it takes a village to raise a child, but really it takes a family. That's what children need. They need a family. So please be part of our family. And we don't want to be wishy-washy and oh, be part of our family. So we actually want to give you a practical how you can get involved with our family. And there's lots of different ways you can do that. But I would like Bev to come and tell you about the first really easy way that you can show up for this family. Thank you. Thanks, Tamara. Okay, so um, we've been doing coming to the table for a few years now, probably about six years, I think. Um, and some years we've pushed it more and other years we've, um, we've kind of done it very lightly, so to speak. But this year we really want to invite you all um, to join us in doing a coming to the table um, to show that we are family and that we are supporting the children in our care. So um, it's for those of you who don't know what it is, it's a very simple concept. Um, invite your friends or family over for a meal, um, and that can be anything from a simple pasta dish to a three-course gourmet meal. Um, and then just ask them to donate what they would have spent if they'd gone out for a meal, so whether that was to McDonald's or to a French restaurant, just to donate what they would have to Oasis. So it's a fundraising thing, but it also just gives opportunity for us to come together. Um, remember Oasis talk about what we do. We're asking that you take photos, say, uh, post them on social media, uh, use the hashtags coming to the table and Oasis Haven. Um, and let's just get some excited, excitement going around our, um, our new corporate identity, our no, new logo and our new zest for life where Beverly's not that old woman who's <laughs> tired and looking for money. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it for us, from us for today. Um, and we just want to thank you all again for everything that you do, do to us, or do for us. You guys really are um, the backbone of Oasis Haven when it comes to our financial support. So we really thank you. Can I ask you all to stand? And maybe I can just ask the board to come stand up here and let's just close off by praying for this board that represents this family of looking after these precious children. Maybe I can have someone from the congregation please come and stand with them. Some of our leaders and guys, come and stand. Come and... I'm going to take a step forward. Let's just reach out our hands to them and bless them. 
Father, thank you for your heart, the Father's heart to look after the vulnerable. And thank you that you've placed us into family. And thank you for this responsibility that you've given us to look after these 20 children and the many more children that you're going to put in our care and make us responsible for. And Father, we know that this is a ministry that touches your heart. And, and you say in James that this is pure religion, is to look after widows and the orphan and not be defiled by the world. And we want to ask for your wisdom for this team as they um, steward this ministry. We want to ask for this family, this new creation family, God, that, that you would show us each our responsibility and the role that we're going to play. If it's giving financially or adopting or whatever gifts and talents you've given us to, to play a role in this ministry, God, I pray that you would speak clearly to us and that you then give us the courage to, to respond to your voice. We want to speak your blessing over each one of these board members and over each one of the children. God, we pray that you would continue to meet their every needs. I thank you for this new brand identity and what you're doing in Oasis Haven. We're so excited for the new and the new season that they're in. And we just speak your blessing and your favor upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you have enjoyed this recording. For more information about New Creation Family Church, please visit our website at www.newcreation.co.za.